Hello and welcome back to Security Insights, the podcast that takes a deeper look at today's most important issues in cybersecurity and beyond. I'm Stephen Pritchard, editor and presenter. In this change to our planned episode, we'll be looking at the geopolitical situation in Europe and how that is affecting cybersecurity on the continent and beyond. As we recorded this episode, we were 301 days into the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And that invasion, or in Russian terms, the special military operation, was accompanied by cyber attacks on both Ukraine and its Western partners. As Russian forces face setbacks on the battlefield, they have increasingly turned their attention to attacks on Ukraine's civil national infrastructure. Those assaults have gone hand in hand with further actions in cyberspace, including wiper attacks aimed to destroy electronic systems by deleting their data. The impact of Russian-based cyber attacks would certainly have been greater still, were it not for the success of both Ukrainian and Western cyber defences. But the war has shown up shortcomings in cyber defence, cyber skills and resilience across the West. Our guest this week has direct experience of fighting a nation-state cyber attack. Laurie Ullman was working at Estonia's Ministry of Defence in 2007 when Russian hackers attacked his country. Today, he works with NATO and other governments, as well as the private sector, to model and wargame cyber threats through the company he co-founded, Cybexer. Understandably, he's been following the situation in Ukraine closely over the last 10 months. He joins us now. We were attacked in 2007 by, by Russia. So uh, at some point, we, we had to take decisions um, in a completely new kind of warfare. Uh, in 2007, cyber attacks against nations as whole were pretty unusual. They were not uncommon. Uh, they uh, they had occurred against uh, various government institutions, but attacks against Estonia as a country, they were, I would say, one of the first, if not the first attack against the country as a whole. So I remember in the middle of the night, 4 a.m., typing an SMS message, we didn't have smartphones at that time, to uh, to my minister saying, Minister, I believe we are under cyber attack. And I didn't didn't think if if he would believe me. And, uh, and, and, and so it was. In fact, of course, we had dealt with cybersecurity already before. We would forecast that something like that might happen. Um, we had made necessary investments uh, as, as government at that time because of our digital transformation program. But the attacks in 2007 definitely changed the way I look at the world and as I, as I look at the threat. And then that mostly from that perspective, that if, if anybody thinks it can't happen to me, um, then um, I'm the one to tell that it, it can happen to anybody. Was that, going back to 2007, was that the first time that we had discovered or been able to prove that a nation state had attacked another nation state in cyber? That is a very good question. And the answer is, unfortunately, no, because it was in, in, incredibly hard to conclude um, a thing that we now call attribution uh, in, of, of, of a cyber attack. It was pretty evident 
that this is something that Russians are doing. And there was uh, an abundance of uh, circumstantial evidence. For example, the, the attacks were carried out according to the to the normal bureaucratic schedule of um, of uh, of a Russian government organization. So, for example, it, it started at nine o'clock Moscow time. It ended at five o'clock uh, Moscow time. Sometimes, some of the biggest uh, attacks were scheduled uh, on on the 9th of May. Um, but because they are ahead of time, they actually happened on 8th of May um, in Estonian calendar. So, so there were this usual Russian sloppiness, for example, that we can see. Um, obviously, uh, there were Russian actors uh, involved in those attacks. We also had um, a very good criminal cooperation agreement at that time with Russia. And it was a different time uh, at that time. And the Russian... Russian look at the international law and international order wasn't quite deteriorated as it as it is uh, by now. Uh, so we actually even even tried to um, pursue those avenues which which were unfruitful. But the most difficult was to actually explain to our allies that we need that official attribution and uh, and from different channels. I think I would. It's even fair to say that we were, if not pressured, then. Uh, explained that uh, cyber attacks are extremely difficult to attribute and uh, and official attribution of those attacks did not take place although politically everybody understood that this is Russia testing out this new cyber warfare however uh, what happened we managed to learn the lessons the reaction of the international community was overwhelmingly positive they were there was a, a huge amount of solidarity to estonia nato definitely took those attacks as a wake up call because all the work on the cybersecurity strategy various planning documents started estonia was behind the table we got a lot of attention also because of the fact that we were one of the first countries who started to talk about it publicly before some of the attacks that we had seen had been classified actually by by some of the some of the countries and and they were not that visible a stone attack was extremely visible so you saw it against government websites denial of service you saw it against public uh, media uh, media portals uh, and and you saw it against the banks ultimately so everybody felt it so there was no way not to talk about it and and of course we took the decision to talk about as talk about it as much as possible and and i think it was the right one what did you uncover about why the russians did this there were various um approaches uh to this question when it happened but i think when we look at all the facts that we know now then uh, i think the answer is they were just testing out this new avenue of warfare i think um it happened to be Estonia at that time when it was convenient to use it. As you as you may or may not know, the attacks happened in conjunction with a, a general political tension. So there were politically motivated Russia-supported riots on the street, which is extremely unusual in Estonia. So so there was this surrounding political environment of surrounding political pressure. I think I think they were just uh, testing out a new kind of um, warfare, a new kind of doctrine in their arsenal. So we're going to jump forward now to present day. Exactly. 2022, we're coming up to the end of the year, 301 days into the Ukrainian conflict, into the Russian invasion of Ukraine as we speak. 
What has changed? What have we seen happening on the geopolitical landscape in particular with reference to cyber during those 301 days? I think we can um, we can um, characterize it in following way. First of all, Russian cyber capabilities are still there. And I know there is a talk, and, and, and now we have this discussion about do we see cyber warfare in the first place in Ukraine conflict? And we certainly do. So uh, I would invite anybody to, um, to, for example, check out Cyber Peace Institute's website, which actually makes a, does a very good job in documenting all the cyber attacks that are that are happening in Ukraine, and uh, and we see that the cyber warfare is 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 actually present. So this is observation number number one. Observation number two is that Russians are still dangerous, and they are prone to use cyber attacks as a spillover for spillover effect. So um, what do I mean by that? Some of the some of the types of attacks that they use are so so vicious that they um, they tend to spill over. So on 23rd, for example, according to Microsoft Threat Intelligence uh, Center, Russians unleashed uh, this wiper attack, which which basically is a ransomware without an opportunity to to decrypt, basically using in cyberspace the same tactics that they are currently using with their ar- artillery, which is the scorched earth uh, tactics. Um, uh, this time directed against our um, our data, uh, Ukrainian data, but we saw that attack also spill over to to, to the neighboring countries, especially through the through the banking system. What comes on top on top of that is that we have been also ourselves. The West has has gotten better. We have made systemic investments uh, into cybersecurity. We have actually taken. Russian cyber threat seriously. So the threat is actually pretty adequately matched. The attacks are there, but they haven't there hasn't been like a too many spectacular successes. The wiper attack, very dangerous in its in itself, was very successfully countered by by extremely fast uh, response by by Microsoft security team. Uh, there have been uh, other attacks. Uh, I think it was day after uh, European Parliament designated Russia as a terrorist uh, state. They fell victim to a, um, a very large-scale distributed denial of service attack, which they um, they I think battled for for several days, and it was called a as, as a sophisticated attack. We saw attacks uh, against infrastructure here in Estonia, which Estonia handled. I think uh, with remarkable success. So actually, unlike the, the the events in 2007, I think regular consumers even did not register that something very serious was going on. So I think that's the main difference that uh, that attacks don't come as a surprise. They still are there. They still are dangerous, but we can match them. And geopolitically, this is this is pretty significant. It doesn't mean that we should sort of underestimate the enemy. Uh, and uh, and uh, and I think that's that's another lesson learned. And there is, of course, a cost. There is an immediate and an ongoing cost to providing true. those defences. Yeah, that is true. What impact is that going to have on organisations in the West, in particular in NATO? I think what we what we what we see 
it's not a discussion only about cybersecurity, but it's also a discussion about our general preparedness on, on resiliency, is that we are going to have a lot of discussion about how much are we ready to pay for resiliency, for preparedness, uh, for, for, for the safety. And uh, and there is a price tag that that comes with running a democratic, open uh, society that is vulnerable for for, for all kinds of uh, for all kinds of attacks, but it remains to be seen. But uh, for example, what we are dealing here in in, in our companies is explaining that we cannot solve cybersecurity issue by throwing money at the issue only. I think. Uh, we can solve it by making smart decisions, like uh, identifying what are our crown jewels. By making smart decisions, like if we are spending on on equipment, on a security equipment, are we actually using that to the maximum effect? We have seen that a lot that that, that companies are, are spending on various kinds of security products, Rolls Royces, that 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 are not actually used to uh, to the to the maximum effects that um, maximum effect possible. We have we have talking to in our company. We're talking to several uh, security vendors, and uh, and and then we see vendors concerned that um, that. That sometimes the thinking is that if we have spent the money, we get the protection. That is not necessarily so. Uh, we have to talk about the skills gap, uh, our skills to use the technology, our our ability to have to have all those to have all those people. But there is going to be interesting developments also in Russia. So. Um, I am going to be looking, and we are going to be looking how the technology development in Russia is going to to take place, and that that will be very very interesting in the in the next year and the years to come. Um, we see that major uh, IT companies, including IT infrastructure companies, have have ceased operations. We had yesterday the news that also Huawei has stopped um, their uh, business infrastructure operations in Russia. What does that mean? Uh, uh, is uh, remains to be seen. Does that mean that the Russia is going to basically run out of the computing power at, at one day because nobody is going to sell them necessary equipment? Uh, that that could be an, an an open question as well. If we go back to the situation in the West and what you've been explaining there, part of the issue is that we never really know and you can run exercises. And in fact, that's what your business does. It runs uh, cyber ranges. Uh, but you can run exercises, you can run drills as the military have to do in a regular basis, as civil defense and police have to do on a regular mm-hmm. basis. But even then, you never really know what works and what doesn't work until the real thing happens. What have we learned from what we've experienced so far and what we've had to do to defend against the Russian threat? One of the... Um... If I if I um, if I describe uh, some of the surprise factors, so for example, if if, if I compare the scenarios that we have run uh, and uh, and uh, look at the things that happened, what was really surprising, and this is something that we are dealing with uh, at at the moment, um, are the um, attacks through legitimate logons that we see in uh, that we see in Ukraine. It means that let's say eighteen percent of the territory. Is, uh, is is occupied by Russians. So what they did, um, uh, especially in the energy sector, uh, they took over a couple of power plants, including uh, largest nuclear power plant in, in in Europe, and forced completely legitimate logons. So so this is a scenario that we, I admit, 
haven't played out in some of the exercises. A lesson learned there is uh, how do we deal with this type of massive insider intrusion? What do we, and, and, and how do we harden our internal networks, which tend to be sometimes very soft, and that actually applies also to, to all, the, all the companies, and actually echoed by recent Uber hack, where we saw that once the perpetrator was able to penetrate through the external perimeter, it was extremely soft inside, and, and through escalation and lateral movement, the, the attacker was, was basically uh, able to, to reach the crown jewel. So this is sort of tactical, practical, and novel thing that we hadn't thought about, or, or, or that could be uh, right there. We've seen that before with critical infrastructure in particular, yeah. but not only in critical infrastructure, where there was a lot of hardening around the perimeter, Phys physical protections, yeah. docks, cameras, ID cards, potentially biometric measures to stop people accessing control rooms and the like. But once you're inside that control room, very few software measures, very few virtual measures to prevent lateral moves across the infrastructure. Is that what exactly. you're saying? Exactly. And we see that now in a massive scale. Multiply that with, with, with actually, we are not dealing with external intrusions, but we are dealing with logons at gunpoint. This is something that is, is definitely, definitely a big challenge. We don't know what is, what is going to be left behind. We, as uh, not as a Company, but I mean, we as, as as West is probably going to clean up that mess for 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 quite a long time. So I think energy cybersecurity is is going to be a big topic because it, that seems to be particularly particularly targeted. Another area, of course, we are seeing the importance of communication. That in, in some cases, the weakness of, of of Russia's communications, the importance uh, of of communication, and the importance of having. Um, Independent communication in the battlefield. We saw also uh, certain hacking uh, attempts against telecommunication companies, uh, for example. We saw Wiper. So I would definitely like to emphasize Wiper and ransomware and, uh, and, and some of the desperate moves. If you are cash deprived, if you are not successful in the battlefield, if you still have units that can uh, carry out cyber operations and who do not have necessarily not sort of any ethical barriers, then, then everybody can be a target. Multiply that with AI enabled scanning and you will you will get a threat that, again, does not go away, I think, for, for any foreseeable, foreseeable future. But some commentators have argued that there have been fewer cyber attacks during the Russian invasion than we would have expected. Do you agree with that? What is the measure? Certainly not in Estonia. Um, we, Estonia experienced one of the harshest cyber attacks against its whole critical information infrastructure. We have been dealing with it more successfully and we have better ways of dealing with it. So, so I think the statistics may be a little bit off also because of the fact that we actually are getting pretty good at that, which is not reason. What, what I see here is a pretty alarming trend, which I can compare also with the COVID and, and, and vaccinations. And it's sort of a lose-lose situation. You know, if you, if you don't vaccinate, then you get a lot of victims. If you vaccinate, then, then some of the anti-vaxxers will always say that, you know, it wasn't that serious. And uh, I think we, we are seeing, uh, I, I am certainly sensing the kind of debate uh, also in the, in the field of cybersecurity. So if, if, if I look at just purely from Estonian perspective, the attacks that we saw, very sophisticated, very large volume, but they didn't register so much just because we are getting good at it. We have made investments. It is extremely hard 
uh, of getting accurate statistics on attacks uh, and especially the kinds of attacks that sometimes Russians are, are doing, we have been systemically uh, trying to track down, for example, ransomware attacks. And the moment you see a payment being made to the perpetrator, that usually will not register in, in the statistics. So we, so we really don't know. And I would I would leave that uh, into to, to to an open to an open question. A big part of that discussion is uh, is the fact that some attacks do not register, some attacks are not reported, and we are just getting better. The same discussion, by the way, on the Russian military capabilities. We have seen we are seeing this discussion as well that because uh, because Russia is losing so much equipment and so much manpower in the battlefield, there have been voices saying that oh maybe we shouldn't be investing into the defense so much and. And, uh, and what matters there, I think, it's not the technical statistics. It not, it's not even the sort of the objective measure technical capability that matters. It is the intent that matters. When we talk about terrorism, when we talk about cyber terror, the kind of cyber terror using wiper and AI-enabled scanners, we have seen instances where, where it's even sufficient that a that couple of vulnerable targets are affected and, and, uh, and, and, and we feel it. Be it colonial pipeline example, which perpetrated by Russians, obviously, solved uh, very effectively through the payment tracing, which, by the way, could be uh, a policy direction we should be looking in general in those ransomware cases. I am extremely cautious when I hear any cyber security statistics because because we, we, I haven't seen sort of really, really reliable data. If we go back to the Microsoft research that was done, and they were pinpointing attempts by the Russians to coordinate cyber attacks and physical attacks on infrastructure, so particularly the drone and missile attacks against the Ukrainian power infrastructure, trying to leverage or increase the leverage caused by those kinetic attacks with cyber. Is that something that NATO and that the West need to be more aware of, that actually a relatively small weaponized or kinetic attack could be massively amplified if you can coordinate that with a cyber offensive at the same time. True, and, and and vice versa, and we are paying. So we saw that first time. This is part of the Russian tactic. Uh, this is uh, part of uh, of how Russians like to uh, like to do things. Success rate is a, is a different question, but we saw it in Georgia in two thousand and eight. The invasion of South Ossetia by uh, by Russia saw various kinetic attacks against Georgia, the country. Uh, so what happened was that Russia actually bombed certain critical information infrastructure nodes that were connecting Georgia to the outside world. Georgia, I think, had at that time, I may be wrong, I don't have the exact data or map uh, in front of me, but I think, um, let's say, for the, for the sake of argument, three to four uh, main connections to the world, and a couple of them going through Turkey, a couple of them going through Russia. So they bombed those who went through Turkey, um, directing the traffic inside the country through Russian uh, Russian infrastructure, making it, of course, accessible to all kinds of uh, uh, special services, uh, wiretapping, and, and so so on and so forth. So so this is the this is a common tactic by Russians. They have they have been using it in the battlefield, and uh, and we should be definitely 
aware of and uh, and and and, uh, and and practice it. I, having been part of, of scenario creation in, in cybersecurity in, in various formats, uh, this is something that that we have actually also included in in, in our scenarios already for 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 quite a long time. So these combined kinetic and 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 cyber is something that that we are planning for. So with the modeling that you've done, would you say that we need to harden these interconnections? Because again, and I think this is not a new idea that a small number of attacks can cause this very big impact. You know, how long would a modern society operate without electricity? How long can a modern society operate without, say, the banking system, the ability to take payment cards? And we saw some of that as well during COVID, that we are very dependent on small points, small pinch points in very long supply chains. I am saying that. And uh, there is the way we look at that uh, is the following. Um, The first, what we should be extremely concerned about is the overall sort of internet backbone infrastructure as a whole. There are many reasons to be concerned. There are many scenarios uh, to be played through. We have seen physical attacks in conjunction with this conflict. And what I mean is the Nord Stream pipeline, of course, already. So uh, so it is not a theoretical opportunity. It is uh, an actual ongoing reality. Sort of the backbone inf- infrastructure that, that keep the, the world internet working are certainly um, a point of concern. Operational technologies is another one. So lots of people are talking about the quantum effects and then what would that do to the existing cyber cyber defenses. We, we have sometimes argued when we go through our exercise scenarios that when it comes to operational technology, some of the critical information infrastructure, some of the legacy systems that we're using, the quantum effect has already arrived because some of our operational technology is so vulnerable. So, so we should definitely uh, pay our, our, our attention to that as well. Yes. So there's been perhaps a culture of underinvestment, as you've already alluded to with the discussions on the military um, side, we perhaps have underspent yeah. on defense and we've been found lacking in cyber too? I think so. But what we need to do is again and again, not to keep only money in mind. I think what we need to keep in mind are the technology trends and, and the values. I think we shouldn't stop there. I think what we need to do is we need to think more about our investments. We also need to realize that just throwing money at the problem would not solve it. So, so what does it mean? I think we need to play through various scenarios that that will pinpoint some of the weak spots, uh, be it strategic scenarios, be it technical scenarios, be it uh, sort of various wargaming. So, so, so this is this is uh, number one, and, and and the second is that we need to understand why we are doing it. I got a stunning experience. Uh, when I was speaking to a CISO forum in, in Ireland, and, and one of the members of parliament, I think, asked me, uh, and it was in the aftermath of uh, national health system ransomware case, which was very, very high profile in, in, in Ireland, dealt, um, of course, masterfully and, uh, and very impressively by the authorities. But, um, but one of the members of the parliament asked me, maybe we have gone too far with our digital transformation. Maybe we shouldn't, shouldn't be doing this. Um, maybe we put too much stuff online. And my response to that was that it is not our decision. Digital transformation is a technological megatrend. There is nothing we can do to fight against it. 
Now, our question is, the question that we need to be asking is, who is in control of that process? Who is in the driver's seat? So if we are not doing it, if we are afraid to do digital transformation because we think that maybe somebody is going to attack it, maybe there are cyber attacks coming, then we give up our driver's seat and somebody else is going to do it for us, some other country. And this is something we don't want to allow, just realizing that cybersecurity is something that will will help to strengthen our business model. It, it will help to strengthen our, our trust and ultimately put us in the driver's seat, the democratic, free Western world into driving seat of the digital transformation. I think this is how we should, how we should phase it and, and, and pitch it. So then having that cadre of skilled cyber operators in, in industry, in the civil service and government and in the military is actually as critical as a part of defence as any other. Yes. Lauri Alman, thank you very much. Lauri Alman on how we cannot afford to let the risk or the fear of cyber attacks deter us from moving towards a more digitised economy. That, though, is all for this episode of Security Insights. We'll be back in two weeks' time, when we'll be looking at the key security events of 2022 and attempting some predictions for 2023. Until then, you can, of course, catch up on past programmes on our website, securityinsights.co.uk, and on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon and Spotify. Thanks again for listening.